0: a fan of the lift you must be if you're listening or you soon will be do you like putting your face in a good book me too go to facebook.com forward slash victoria 9st let's be friends okay
1: <laughs> hi everyone i'm daniel Foytek and i create and produce the lift along with co-creator and executive producer cynthia loman On behalf of Cindy and me, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Lift. I want to give a special thank you to Gwendolyn Keist, who acted as the editor for today's episode, whenever Cindy and I got a little behind on our editing duties. Also wanted to take a moment and thank everyone for all the love that you've given the show, because a lot of love goes into creating this show, and it's really exciting and gratifying to know that so many people are listening to and enjoying the show uh, we made it to iTunes new and noteworthy, and we could not have done that without you listeners taking the time to listen to the show as well as taking the time to review the show in iTunes and also leave a rating. Since the last time I read ratings and reviews, we had a few more. We had one from The Stepfather. I love listening to these stories and worry that an elevator is going to show up and it will be my turn to face Victoria. Deeply engrossing and at times disturbingly real. The music, voice acting, and story keep the listeners' ears tuned in to what will happen next. Love it. Also from 712, I've had your podcast downloaded for a few months now. I just binged listened to all of them yesterday while delivering my mail route. The stories are super creepy and extremely well written. The production is beautifully done. Keep up the good work. Wonderfully Creepy by Aaron Vleck. And this is the Aaron Vleck, who was the author last week on The Wicked Library. So do check out that episode. The name of the episode is Dear Cousin Gavin. And that just aired as this airs last week. So Aaron's review for The Lift was, you know that feeling you get when you can't turn away and you're half scared and half loving it? That's The Lift. It's a shortcut to the whim whams for those who are introduced to Victoria A charming, timeless individual that you don't quite know what to make of. Great fun in a unique format and voice. I look forward to a lot more out of Victoria, and I only wish I could find her lift myself. I think. Well, I'm sure she'll find you if you don't find her first. So, again, thank you to everyone who takes the time out of their day to listen to the show, to everyone who takes the time to review and leave a star rating, there's a lot of other podcasts out there. There's a lot of other stories out there. Uh, there's a lot of books available on Audible. I appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to the show and to help us bring Victoria to life. And without further ado, let's go for a ride. The writer for today's episode of The Lift is Scarlett R. Algy. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of her work at sralgi.wordpress.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com.
0: Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, there was a place that became became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your fate.
1: Tom knows this house like the back of his hand. He should. He grew up here. He knows which boards in the old staircase creak when they're stepped on. The third, the sixth, and particularly the ninth, in which bricks on the fireplace can be shimmied out of their mortar, if he needs a safe place to hide something tiny. Above all, he knows how to be quiet, because while the blind can't see you stealing from them, in Tom's experience, most of them can hear a pin drop from three streets away. The lady of this house is downstairs in her rocking chair, having a nap under a crocheted blanket but he's not taking any chances. Tom himself is upstairs in the master bedroom, using tweezers to pick rings, one by one, out of an old pewter jewelry box. They get tucked, still in the tweezers' grip, still one by one, into an unzipped pocket of his jacket, one that he's lined with velvet to soak up the noise. It's a meticulous task, even with two hands, and he's doing it with one the other hand, stuffed in a too small leather glove, is clamped over his nose to dampen the sound of his sniffling. The whole house looks like no one's dusted anything in 20 years. With the only light from a wall sconce to work by, he can see the dust atop the furniture in individual grains, and just looking at it makes him want to sneeze. Six rings. Six delicate muffled clinks as they settle into their velvet nest tom could take more there certainly are more but these look valuable enough to keep him comfortable for a while and it's safest to work small he doubts the blind old bat snoozing downstairs will even notice they're gone let alone be able to remember what they look like probably she'll just think they got misplaced back when her sight was merely bad if she thinks anything besides There's another jewelry box here, and a pricey-looking silver-backed hand mirror, leaving something gives him an excuse to come back. This is his third rendezvous with the old house already. Tom puts the tweezers back down on the dresser where he'd found them, carefully settling them back into the stark outline they'd left behind. Downstairs, a clock chimes twice. He holds his breath, slips across the carpet to the light switch, and eases it down the room goes nearly pitch dark at once and the darkness presses in and makes him sweat his breathing sounds too loud he sucks a lungful of dust and slaps both hands to his nose and mouth huffing as his throat spasms willing away the cough threatening to erupt Tom doesn't cough he doesn't breathe His heart beats double time against his ribs, and he listens in the hateful dark, straining, feeling sweat run down his neck. Nothing moves. Nothing creaks. If the clock woke up the woman down there, she's not coming up the stairs. Tom steps out into the hallway, welcoming a breath of fresher air and a glimpse of sunlight from below. At the top of the stairs, he can see the woman in the rocking chair, and holds his breath again but the old woman's still asleep even snoring a little chin down on her chest the blanket has slid off her lap and pulled around her feet he's safe for now he creeps back down the stairs holding tight to the banister as he steps wide to skip the noisy ones for a second he stands in front of the woman and watches her sleep She's never even known that he's here. A successful job, and it's only two in the afternoon. He can drive across the state line to cash in on his little hall and still have time for a dinner and a movie. One last survey of the room before he heads out, just to make sure he hasn't left shoe prints on the carpet. The afternoon sun is beaming through the front windows, stretching toward the sleeping woman in the rocking chair and the light illuminates something glittery on the bookshelf behind her chair. Tom knows he should be getting away, but the gleam attracts him, and he tiptoes around the chair in a wide circle. The sparkling object is an oblong box on five tiny legs, lightweight in his hand. Brass, probably. But it has the look of gold about it, and the lack of dust on it tells him It's been handled recently. He opens the box and stares blankly for a moment at the intricate machinery within, then turns it over. A music box, of course. What he'd taken for a fifth leg on the underside is a winding key for the mechanism. Tom hesitates. The box might be valuable, or only good to sell for scrap, but its cleanness makes him think it definitely might be missed. He holds it tight, staring at the utterly dustless space it had occupied, and starts to put it back. But a snore from the old woman rips the air just behind him, and he backs away, jamming the box under his arm, heart hammering in his throat against a pent-up curse. He's getting too jumpy. It's time to hit the road. When Tom opens the front door, the road isn't there. Holy hell! The words come out helplessly fast and make him glance back. Inside the doorway, the living room of his latest target hasn't changed. But outside it, where there should be cookie-cutter houses and perfect lawns and a street with his beat-up pinto parked a few hundred yards away, he's looking into the lobby of another building. Tom sneezes at last, steps back into the living room and shuts the door opens it again one foot on the threshold and here's the lobby joined to the front of the house as seamlessly as if they're one building he steps off carpet and onto doll scuffed parquet holy hell he's in an old apartment building maybe or a hotel whatever it is no one's used it in decades the scraps of carpet that are visible, are ragged and moth-eaten. The side windows are webbed and cracked, and water stains mar the ceiling with blackened circles. There's a distant sound of dripping. Tom backs up. There's a distinct tang of mold in this place, and his sinuses are tingling. He needs fresher air. Like the street that should be outside, the door he'd come through has disappeared. He sneezes explosively, clutching at the music box to keep from dropping it, then sits on the floor, rubbing a gloved hand across his nose and snuffling heavily. I'm hallucinating, he complains thickly into the silence. I must be. Too much time in that house breathing mothball fumes or mold spores or whatever was in that dust.
0: No, you're not.
1: Tom gets to his feet almost as quickly as he'd sat down, teetering on the edge of overbalance. Who said that? Who's here? His answer is a faint childish giggle.
0: (laughs) Me! Come play with me!
1: He exhales through stuffy nostrils, definitely hallucinating. The voice had seemed to come from nearby, maybe from the ancient rusting monstrosity of an elevator. It's the sort with cage style doors that he'd seen in old movies the kind that's operated by some lackey with a cap and a brass-buttoned uniform. Some kid, he guesses. Some little punk girl hiding in the damned elevator, screwing with him. Except he can't think of any local kids who have an English accent. Irritably, he starts toward the old elevator, shoving the antique music box into his jacket. It had been such a great day to start with. Coffee and beer for breakfast drop in on the old lady and rob her blind again pardon the pun and enjoy his ill-gotten gains now he's seeing things and hearing things and possibly being pranked into the bargain not today kid not today tom grabs the elevator's cage doors and pulls they whisper open in his hands like they've been oiled and he falls into the compartment knees thudding painfully against the metal floor The music box slips from beneath his jacket and clatters to the floor with a mournful plink. Oh! It's that voice again, right in his ear.
0: You brought a music box. Maybe there's hope for you yet.
1: Tom gets up slowly, grabbing up the music box as his knees creak. Somehow, in his hurry to get in here, he'd completely missed the little girl in the corner of the elevator car. But here she is, the source of the voice, in blonde pigtails and a ruffled purple dress that could pass for something out of a Dickens novel. She barely comes up to his waist, and she's looking up at him with cool curiosity. He stares back at her. It's a trick of the light, maybe. Hopefully. But he swears. He swears she's just a little bit transparent. He can just make out the texture of the wall through her face, and he looks away with a shudder. All right, he sighs. I'm hallucinating
0: I just said you're not
1: But I'll play along Goodbye dinner and a movie Just tell me where I am and who you are And how I can get back to normal
0: I'm Victoria You're in my lift And where you are is Where you need to be
1: The girl cocks her head to one side Little rosebud lips pursed
0: As for getting back to normal That's why you were called here to give you a second chance before you really need it.
1: Victoria smiles, and it's a faint, knowing smile that's too old for her face.
0: I could explain the particulars of our exact location, but that would only confuse you.
1: Why does he feel an urge to shake hands with her like an equal? I'm Tom.
0: Tommy, Tommy Boy, Tommy Kins Tomato.
1: She sings songs and giggles.
0: (laughs) Yes, I know.
1: She has something in her hands, half hidden in the folds of her dress. A box with a faint greenish glow. Her eyes are green, too. Or they've taken up the unearthly light. Dear God, what's wrong with him? Um, right, Victoria. What is that?
0: It's my music book. My carry is everywhere.
1: Tom doesn't see her wind anything but the space is briefly filled with a sweet, tinkling tune. When it stops, she says,
0: Let's hear yours.
1: Tom opens the box and studies it. Nothing seems to have been damaged in its fall from his jacket. He twists the winding key a few times and watches the mechanism move, the parts picking out a familiar lullaby. Victoria hums a bit nodding as the notes fade.
0: Brahms. She says. Lovely. But we have that second chance to get to.
1: She reaches up, takes hold of his jacket, and pulls him down a little, looking into his eyes.
0: Right, third story for you.
1: Before Tom can ask what she means, the elevator whines and clanks and begins to move. The elevator slides to a stop several minutes later. And through the rusty doors, Tom can only see black. His throat constricts, crammed full of his juddering heart. His palms sweat. The cage doors lurch open with a screech of protest and Victoria warbles.
0: Third story, off you go.
1: Off to what? For all he knows, there's no floor up here, and he's about to step off into empty space. Tom's gut knots. Icy perspiration rolls down his spine. I... Victoria, I... I can't... I can't see.
0: Can't you? Thieves can see in the dark, silly.
1: No. No, they can't. Tom realizes what she said and turns on her. How do you know about that?
0: I told you.
1: The girl replies, completely unruffled.
0: You were called here. I only take you where you need to go. You have to fix yourself.
1: Brightening, she adds.
0: But admitting the problem is a big first step.
1: I do not have a problem. Victoria seizes his arm with remarkable strength and wrenches him around toward the open doors. Look. Tom looks. And he sees himself just a short while ago in the upstairs bedroom of that house. It's a grainy, sepia, transparent image, as though the blackness just beyond is so solid a film can be projected onto it. Tom watches, feeling strangely outside his own body, as he picks up rings, as the downstairs clock chimes and he slaps off the light. And abruptly, he can hear the way his heart rate had bounded in the sudden darkness, how his breath had jerked and rasped in his chest. Make it stop. Please, make it stop.
0: They're blind.
1: The ghostly image begins to replay. Victoria's voice is quiet against the saw of Tom's breathing.
0: These people you steal from, they're all blind.
1: She's playing her music box again. It's song tinny and unfamiliar, the shape outlined in that phosphorescent glow.
0: You don't steal because you're poor or desperate. You just do it because you can.
1: Stop, Tom says through gritted teeth.
0: And you do it in the daylight. Stop! Not because they can't see you.
1: Shut up, kid!
0: But because you're afraid of the dark.
1: I said shut up! The image flickers off. Tom has the stolen music box in his hands, and he slams it into the elevator floor. The impact sounds with a metallic bass twang, pieces pinging off the walls as the works scatter. Brahms' lullaby starts again, warped and broken, and dies in four notes. Victoria's silent, one hand to her mouth, but her eyes blaze in her face, and it's with a deadly low voice that she says,
0: I'm afraid I'll have to make you regret that.
1: Get me out of here, Tom demands.
0: There's only one way out.
1: Victoria's down hunting for the parts of the music box, but she points out the elevator doors into the dark. Light flares some distance away, then settles into a thin line as though it's seeping out underneath a door at the end of the corridor.
0: I'm supposed to be your guide, but that's all the guidance you'll have from me. Go, find your
1: own way. The surface beneath his feet feels like carpet, but it sucks at his shoes like tar, making each step a leg-cramping lift and drag.
0: I'm afraid I'll have to make you regret that.
1: Victoria had said, What's that supposed to mean? What can a weird little girl do to him? Tom's teeth chatter as he walks, and not from cold. He turns around every few steps and looks back, but he can't see Victoria or the elevator. Maybe they've disappeared. Maybe he's in this building, this hallway, completely alone. Maybe he's been alone all this time, and he really is hallucinating, mad, even dying. He laughs out loud. Harsh and brassy, and the sound echoes in the gloom, multiplying into a cacophony of jeers. Afraid of the dark, afraid of the dark, the dark, afraid of the dark, afraid, afraid. Tom screams and begins to run. He pursues the line of light to a set of double doors. They're metal and cold, and his slick palmed hands scrabble for purchase. Tom shoves them open in his and is bathed in white glare. He looks back again, down the corridor, but the light falls away just beyond his feet. This is a hospital room. White bed, white walls, three female nurses at the bedside in white uniforms, patient in the bed, with a head stained in white bandages, hooked to dripping IV feeds and steadily beeping monitors. The odors of disinfectant and blood burn Tom's nostrils. He walks squinting around the room, around the bed, but the nurses give no indication that they've seen him. He nudges one on the shoulder and gets no response at all. "'Shame,' the tallest of the three women says. "'He seemed like a normal guy, you know? "'Right? "'Not, well, a thief,' Tom gulps at air. "'Just goes to show you you never know about people,' the second points out. Stealing from those poor blind people and thinking he'd never get caught. Blind people. Blind. Tom leans over the bed and grips the railing. Oh, no. No, no. The third just shakes her head and reaches to adjust a bandage. Wasn't so bright he didn't run from the cops. He's lucky to be alive with a headshot like that, she sighs. Maybe not so lucky when he wakes up and realizes he's lost his eyes. No! Tom shouts. He releases the railing and stumbles backward. And suddenly he's in the body on that bed, flailing, struggling against hands holding him down, opening his eyes painfully wide, and seeing only black, black, black. Oh, God! His throat is raw, and still he screams, Oh, God! I can't see! I can't see! Victoria! Victoria! Help me! I can't see! I can't see! Tom whispers and opens his eyes. He's lying on the living room carpet beside the front door. Slowly, painfully, he sits up, rubbing his eyes hard. There had been that girl and that elevator and that long black hallway and that hospital room. Tom shakes himself all over, trying to cast off the dream, memory, whatever it was. His eyes are sore. He squints at the clock, 2:15. Getting up, Tom eases the front door open. Perfect lawns, cookie-cutter houses, his pinto down the street his eyes brim and spill with the same exaggerated care he'd used an hour earlier tom mounts the stairs and returns the rings to their rightful place back downstairs the owner of the home is snoring quietly in her chair she doesn't wake when he picks up the blanket and smooths it across her lap the music box is a weight inside his jacket Tom pulls it out with unsteady hands and opens the lid. The mechanism is intact. Perfect. Just as he'd picked it up. In one cog, there's a strand of blonde hair. Tom closes his eyes tight for a moment and nods. Then he walks the box back to its shelf, turns the winding key as far as it will go, and sets the box in place. To the strains of Brahms, he lets himself out into the sun. Today's episode featured a story by Scarlett R. Algie. Dark Music. If you'd like more information on Scarlett and her work, you can find her online at sralgey.wordpress.com and follow her on Twitter at Scarlett R. Algie. Artwork for today's show was created by Stephen Matiko. If you'd like more information on Steve and his work, you can visit his website, wideeyedotter.com, and follow him on twitter at s underscore matiko this episode was scored by Nico vitaze of we talk of dreams we talk of today's narrator was daniel vojtek that's me full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com s1e10 thank you for listening to this episode of the lift Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen right at the website. Coming soon to Google Play. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost, and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at iTunes.Victoria'sLift.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Victoria's and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. This show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds, Cathedralsounds.org. The lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitaze of We Talk of Dreams, We Talk of For information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lohman. Music director, Nico Vitaze. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of Story Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is a Story Radio and Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com
0: Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Ninth Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bumble, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time.